I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hi, John. Hi, John. How are you today? I am doing pretty well. How about you? I am doing all right. So, third flop, what are we talking about? Today we are going to talk about Flora the Red Menace, with music by John Kander and lyrics by Fred Ebb, both in their Broadway debut. The book was by George Abbott and Robert Russell, and the show is based on the novel Love is Just Around the Corner by Lester Atwell. Flora the Red Menace opened on May 11th, 1965, and closed on July 24th of the same year after running for 87 performances. Flora the Red Menace was directed by George Abbott, with music direction by Harold Hastings. The original cast included Liza Minnelli as Flora in her Broadway debut, Bob Dishy as Harry Tukarian, Catherine Damon as Comrade Charlotte, and Robert Kay as Mr. Stanley. Liza Minnelli won the Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical for her performance as Flora. That was the show's only nomination. Flora the Red Menace is set in New York City in 1935 during the Great Depression. Flora is a recently graduated fashion designer determined to succeed, but struggling to find work. She travels to all the big New York department stores searching for a job. Eventually, she lands at Garrett and Mellick's. At Garrick and Mellick's, Flora meets Harry, a fellow artist. The boss at Garrett and Mellick's, Mr. Stanley, isn't hiring, but Flora tries to impress the secretary, and during her song, Flora and Harry are able to sneak their designs into a box of Mr. Stanley's merchandise. After the secretary finally kicks them out, Flora asks Harry to join her for coffee. As the two drink their coffee, they discuss Flora's prior employer. Harry explains to Flora what a strike is, and eventually things escalate to the point of breaking as Flora punches Harry in the face. After a few weeks, things have calmed down and Flora invites Harry to her studio, which she rents out to a bunch of other artists who belong to the same cooperative as Flora. The evening comes to a close with Harry surprising Flora by pulling out an application to join the Communist Party and convincing her to sign up. At her first party meeting, Flora is introduced to her new comrades and hears about their activities to fan the flame of communism. After the meeting, Flora arrives at home to discover that she has been summoned to Garrett and Mellick's for an interview. Mr. Stanley is impressed by Flora and offers her a job with the stunning salary of $30 a week. Back at her apartment, Flora is helping Harry with his stutter by having him practice talking with a mouthful of pebbles. Even though Flora can understand every word Harry mumbles through his pebbles, she is still reluctant to go to his apartment and be his loving comrade. That night at the communist rally, Harry convinces comrade Charlotte to join him instead. Flora, having changed her mind, shows up at Harry's apartment and is stunned to find him with Charlotte. Charlotte is equally upset and becomes determined to strike back at Flora. She hides copies of the communist paper, The Daily Worker, in her locker at work. When the copies are discovered, Flora is called into Mr. Stanley's office. 
she realizes that Charlotte has planted the paper in her locker, but confesses to her membership in the party. Flora is fired. Back at her studio, Flora refuses to forgive Harry or the Communist Party, which has led to her being fired. Harry asks Flora to marry him, but she refuses and hands him her party card. Later, Mr. Stanley shows up to Flora's studio to console her. He tells her that someone with a stutter called to explain that someone had planted the copies of the Daily Worker in her locker. Flora is now confused because... She knows it was Harry who called, but Flora's studio mates convince her that she has made the right choice to move on from Harry and the Communist Party. So this is a show, like we've said in the past, John and I kind of alternate who writes the scripts. And this is one that, that I wrote the script for. And I have to confess, it was really hard to pull together this particular script because, one, there's not a lot of great uh, reporting about the plot of this show but two the plot is kind of um propaganda well i don't know that it goes so far as being propaganda but it just doesn't like it's hard to summarize because it's hard to tell what the point of the show is and i think that you know that's that's part of the reason the show ended up being a flop is that the the book, which was written by the director, which is sometimes awesome and sometimes terrible, uh, just doesn't really come to terms with the material. In 1965, writing about communism could have been a very progressive uh, topic. It could have been something that was filled with a lot of strong statements that would have been very relevant to the time. And the show doesn't actually do that. Communism is used just kind of purely as a framing device and isn't really an important part of the story and the relationships that are developed in the book, uh, you know, characters just kind of come and go. There's not a lot of real strong motivation for anything that happens. And it's, it's hard to, as, a, as an audience member, really develop an attachment to, to any of these characters because you're not really given anything to latch onto in the book. I think those are very fair points. I think when you're looking at the time period, so the show uh, premiered in 1965, we're at the height of the Red Scare, we're at the height of the, the quote-unquote Red Menace. I almost wonder at times if this was a little bit of a purity test as well. Because the one, the one thing to me that sticks out in this plot is communism bad. Because, yes. But even if that was the goal, communism bad, it's not even really communism bad. It's like, oh, well, you know, communism wasn't right for me, but you do you. Well, to a degree, communism did ruin Flora's relationship, though. Because yeah, but that relationship just started. Like, we have no investing in Harry and Flora. We don't really care. Oh, no, you're, you are a hundred... 10 absolutely right here i i'm not gonna lie it doesn't make a lot of sense and i'm pulling at strings a little bit in this argument because it's just generic it's it's there it's vanilla it's the the word communism comes up because in the 60s communist 50s and 60s communism was bad and flora did a bad thing by joining the communism party and she does the right thing at the end by not staying in the communist party and so you know it's it's kind of like a dot 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 and like what 
I think you're absolutely right. What's the point? And it's very possible and very probable that there isn't one. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Abbott, great Broadway writer. This was getting towards the end of his career. And this was maybe just subject matter that he wasn't perhaps the best person to deal with. It's interesting you bring up the word vanilla and just kind of unmemorable. Candor and Ebb, this is their Broadway debut. They wrote the score. Uh, my reaction in listening to this music, if, if no one had told me that this was Candor and Ebb, I never would have guessed that it was this, those two because it, it just, it doesn't sound like what we have come to identify as Candor and Ebb music. It sounds very much like a name a 1960s musical. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is one of the things that we were talking about while we were preparing for this show is that the score isn't bad. I don't know that the score is particularly good. It exists. It's got songs that, while are not particularly memorable, they're not discordant or I actively hate them. They, they exist. They're vanilla. But if Candor's and, Candor and Ebb's name was not on this music, would I be judging it as harshly? And I honestly don't believe I would. You know, we kind of fall in this trap when you have these, these writing partners. You've got Candor and Ebb. You've got Rogers and Hammerstein. You've got, you know, Learning Sondheim and Prince and, 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 and just so on and so forth. And you, you, you almost expect brilliance. But the reality is, is that not everything they write is going to be brilliant. We saw that two weeks ago with Merrily We Roll Along. Sondheim is a, a deity in musical theater. The reality, that, that's it. That's just it. Um, and in Merrily, he had a flop. Well, you, you made the excellent point while we were discussing that this is their early work. This is their first Broadway show. And it sounds like two promising young composers and, and, and the lyricists who are, who are working towards something good, but haven't quite found their voice or their style yet. It, it sounds like successful music of the time, but not candor and ebb. And that's it. And I think that's ultimately what I was trying to go to and probably was a little too long winded in is that I'm judging this against the pillar that we place Candor and Ebb on. And as a result, I find this music a little wanting. That's not necessarily fair to the music. It's also definitely not fair to Candor and Ebb because they would go on to write, you know, some of the most iconic works of the later 20th century, you know, shows that are regularly done today and are, are still not only poignant and relevant, but essential to the music theater canon today. It, so it's not fair for me to say, well, this wasn't as brilliant as Cabaret or Chicago, therefore it's bad, because it's not. It just right. exists. And you're, yeah, and you're not saying that either, I don't, I don't think. We're just, you know, it, because it is Candor and Ebb, we have to point out the fact that this music just doesn't sound like Candor and Ebb, and it's really interesting to have this record of an early performance so that we can see how they were able to grow and develop, because there are some nice songs in this show. There's a, there's some funny kind of theater songs for the artists that live in Flora's apartment. And then there's also uh, one, one song that really stands out to me is towards the end of the show, Sing Happy, which is a solo for Flora. That one seems more mature than everything else in the score. And it, for me, kind of hints at what 
they have the potential to go on and do. I definitely agree with you there. And, and that's, that's where for me, the first little glimmer is, um, I think in, in, it's something you mentioned in your notes while we were preparing for this show, this show ultimately has a guys and dolls vibe and you're right. And that's not a knock necessarily on Frank Losser or guys and dolls or this music in general. It's just the music exists the charm in this show is because it is the Broadway debut of Candor and Ebb and Liza Minnelli. And that's kind of it. Yeah. We talked before we start recording and you were kind of saying, it's not a bad show. It's not a good show. And I think, you know, a point you made is that it just doesn't leave an impression. You know, when we talked about Merrily, that was a show that we both thought was really, really good that just didn't get pulled together successfully. When we talked about Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, that was a show that we thought was just absolutely terrible and never have been, never should have been brought to the stage to begin with. When we're sitting here talking about Florida Red Menace, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just, you know, it was a show that they tried and eh. And I right. think that's why this one flopped. Exactly. And and let's and let's be honest here. This show is is best suited as kind of not necessarily a footnote, but it's an early chapter in in the Candor and Ebb uh, book, so to speak. It's the show we talk about where they kind of get their feet wet, where they kind of really stretch their wings on Broadway. They get to go through the process of producing a show for Broadway and learning the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs. It's not a negative in that regard. It is the first step in, in so many other iconic Broadway producers, not capital P producers, but you know, people who actually produce material for Broadway, they have the same mark. It's this, it's the same deal. Yeah. I think what's really fascinating to that point is after this show ended, how Prince hired them to do cabaret. And that was their next thing after this. And to to listen to this and then go and listen to Cabaret, I mean, clearly something switched for them where they found material that resonated and they really were able to develop their style because Cabaret, uh, that's, that's Cantor and Ebb right there. You listen to that and you know who that is. Absolutely. And, you know, it becomes a fun little what if. If Flora the Red Menace didn't exist, would we have Cabaret? Th- thinking purely on an abstract level, not literally the logistics of uh, how Prince seeing Flora deciding to bring on Candor and Ebb to produce what eventually would be Cabaret. Without Flora, do we have Cabaret? Probably not. Um, especially, and, and you you talk about the the song Happy. And, and the glimmers there. For me, those glimmers are a little bit of Sally Bowles, a little bit of Cliff. Like, I, I get it. I see it. Mm-hmm. Totally. The, the, the vocabulary was there. They just didn't necessarily know what to say yet. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's what shows like these are good for. They teach you what to say and what not to say. I think it's a very well-made point, John. Is there anything else you'd like to add about Floor of the Red Menace? That is... Basically it for me. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. Uh, if you are interested in, in hearing the music to the show, it is available in, you know, there's an original Broadway recording. You can hear Liza Minnelli as a young Liza Minnelli. And uh, I think that's it. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. 
If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.